Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome everyone to Season 4, Episode 1 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is Madison Hill. Madison Hill is a filmmaker and photographer based in Durham, North Carolina. She received her MFA in Experimental and Documentary Arts from Duke University in 2023. Through her film practice, Madison explores how the documentary medium can be transformed in an evolving 21st century landscape. Madison's work incorporates various techniques such as processing 16mm film in environmental contaminants to emulate their effects on the human body, utilizing fiction production techniques in the documentary genre and manipulating archival material to question memory and subjectivity. Well, that's quite a bit. We need to talk about that. Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast, Madison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. So let's start by having you tell us something about yourself and your work. Sure. So I am originally from Texas, but I've spent most of my time in North Carolina. Because of that, my work is centered around the South and Appalachia and my background is in documentary arts, but you know, because of this opportunity at Duke and getting my MFA, I've been able to kind of explore what documentary means. And as you heard in my bio, I'm doing it through analog techniques as well as some archival work too. And, and my films explore various themes. I've made personal films and also films about the environment, um, all exploring the ways in which documentary can be completely different and transformative in ways we couldn't even imagine. Now, this is your podcast, but I have to tell you something, maybe multiple somethings. We have a lot in common just right out of the gate. First of all, I'm originally from Texas. Second of all, you're doing this uh, environmental issues thing. I'm an environmental chemist by training and spent, oh, the first seven years of my career as an environmental chemist in Texas and in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and now filmmaking. And we connected, in case people want to know, we connected through the Experimental Film Fest, which you submitted a film to, and that brings us up to date. So where are you from in Texas? I am from Arlington, in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah, I know where Arlington is. That's cool. Um, Do you know where Ranger is? I don't think so. About Give me some. Yeah, about 100 yeah. miles west of you. Okay. Oh, wow. Texas is, you always forget how big and <laughs> vast state, the state of Texas is. Yeah. And 100 miles west of Arlington is not even probably a third of the way across in that direction. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it is a very large state. You can still drive all day long and be in Texas, even at 70 miles an hour so. It's, um, but yeah, Arlington, I've been to Arlington a lot. I used to live in Denton and I lived in Dallas and, um, you know, went to the big flea market there in, well, it's in the, what is it? The kind of there by the water tower near Six Flags. Um, there's a big flea market there on the weekends. So I can't remember the name of it, but anyway. We do have so much in common and I believe you are also in North Carolina, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Wow, we had the same trajectory. And I know, right? I know, it's crazy. So you are definitely <laughs> coming to the Experimental Film Fest in September, right? Absolutely, I will be there. Great. Yeah, it's in New Bern, so if you haven't ever been to New Bern, it's an experience. 
I have not been to New Bern, but I recently went to Seven Springs for the first time, and it was very quaint and very beautiful. And I'm not sure where that I is. I love. It's just. It's near New Bern. It's a town of, I think, sixty people. <laughs> um, it's. It has one stoplight, and it's barely a stoplight. I was working on a documentary um, called Fire and Flood by Madison Cavalcari. It's a project about um, the effects of hurricanes and coastal flooding of North Carolina. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear more about that. Well, yeah. yeah. New Bern is very unique. It's the original, I know other people get tired of me probably talking about this on the podcast, but... It is the original colonial capital of North Carolina. Um, Governor Tryon, you know, pre-Revolutionary War, um, you know, he was the pre-colonial or the colonial governor of the state right. in this region. And I believe that's when, oh gosh, that's, you know, there's some outlander connection there. So, you know, there's outlander stuff here in town and, and so on if people watch outlander. But Anyway, it's it's really pretty cool. New Bern has a lot of colonial history, a lot of um, Revolutionary War history, a lot of Civil War history, and it's it's crazy. Um, the reason why I like it is because when we were looking at places to live in North Carolina, we didn't want to just go to another city. So my wife goes, what do you think of this town? Shows me a... Um, website and i looked at it, i thought oh my god seriously <laughs> i could actually live there so right here i am yeah wow. well i cannot wait to see it you have set my expectations very high so i am looking forward to september oh it's a cool little place plus the film festival is a lot of fun uh this year and this is the first announcement i've ever made of it this year we actually have cash prizes for the winners in the film festival. So there's, yeah, it's actually, um, I mean like, I can't remember how many hundreds of dollars, but it'll be, it'll be significant, you know, cause, um, your film being a student film is eligible for the festival at large. And then, uh, student films also compete against each other for the student film awards. So it's possible that you could win more than one award. Uh, I mean, that's, that's for anybody, you know, but anybody who has a, a student film in the festival, um, you know, it hasn't. I don't think it's happened before. Maybe it has. I can't recall now because this is this will be our fourth year for the festival. And um, anyway, a lot of fun. I mean, there's free beer, free wine, free pizza, free popcorn, uh, pop or soda, <laughs> water. <laughs> And um, uh, this year we're going to have cookies from famous, right. from famous bakeries, so that'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Yeah. So now back to you and what you're doing. <laughs> Madison Hill, who has a master's degree from Duke University, I can't wait to ask you about some of this stuff. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask you, Yeah. how the heck do you major in experimental and documentary arts? That is an excellent question. And before this program, I did not know that it could be done. But yet, here we are. I actually <laughs> graduated um, four days ago. So I'm fresh out of the department. Um, it's a really unique experience. It's an interdisciplinary program. So it's not just filmmakers. In my cohort, there are sculptors, photographers, painters. It's anything you could imagine, any type of medium we have seen it and i i think the best part of this experience was meeting all of these really talented artists and collaborators they all make really interesting work that spans subjects and genres and it's a really wonderful space and community to make nonfiction work but in a way that hopefully not a lot of people have experienced nonfiction work before yeah i'm <sighs> I'm just, when I saw that, it said experimental and documentary arts, I thought, man, that would have been the ultimate gig for me when I was a, a young person in college. I mean, we had horrible majors. We just had the standard stuff, you know. In fact, my roommate, when I was in graduate school, 
he, his major was radio, TV, and film. And wow. I had a girlfriend who was also majoring in radio, TV, and film. And I, you know, at the time, because I was in chemistry, actually biochemistry at, the, at that point, um, I said, what are you going to do with that? What can you do? <laughs> and they both started listing out all this stuff they could do. And that's before I ever thought of film as a career or, you know, even the possibilities. I mean, I had made films with stupid eight millimeter cameras and stuff, you know, which were horrible, of course. But, you know, I never even considered, I mean, what was your bachelor's degree in? My bachelor's degree was actually in cinema studies. Oh, from where? From Virginia Tech. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a Southern Appalachian girl by practice and at heart. Oh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a really cool area. It's beautiful for one thing and, and so interesting. And linguistically, I mean, I could go on and on, but uh, that's really cool. So cinema studies. Yes. And I thought I was going to pursue an MA and a PhD in cinema studies and teach film theory. But while getting my cinema studies degree, I became a practitioner and, and realized that just as much as I love talking about films, I also like creating them as well. And I discovered an MFA was a terminal degree, so I could still teach. Um, I could be a professor of the practice, and it sounded perfect to me. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, you're yeah. you're kind of living my best life, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's my, my pleasure. So... Um, Experimental and documentary arts, those two things seem very far apart for most people. Um, kind of explain what the deal is there. Now, the, the, the film that you submitted, which we're going to talk about, the film that you submitted to the Experimental Film Fest would be considered an experimental documentary, correct? Yes, it would. So what, what kind of separates an experimental documentary from a standard narrative documentary? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's subjective for each practitioner. And, and in my mind, document, the, the term documentary um, is very fluid. I also make a lot of work. I would, you know, I'd consider my work to be docufiction. It incorporates fictional elements as well. Um, some of them are stretched further in, in films. I take some creative liberties with um, script writing and editing. But, you know, I think with, with documentary, it's this utilization of, of real stories and, um, you know, real people and questioning, especially in my work, questioning the ways in which the medium itself can be beneficial to the story. So I think when you watch documentaries on Netflix that are, you know, they're high budget, they're produced by an entire production company, Often there's not much reflexivity in, in the film medium itself. Whereas with my work, especially my analog work, I see so much potential for having this complex and nuanced discussion between the cinematic medium and my subjects. That That's often where I'm drawn to. And so that's where the experimentation comes in, either with the ways in which I'm telling the story, you know, through light distance time, the, the film I submitted to the festival, I use an eight millimeter camera to tell the story of my grandmother. And then in, in Fallout, a film we'll be discussing later, I use the analog medium to show the effects of invisible contamination on the human body. So in my description of experimental documentary, it's a conversation between the nonfiction medium and the story you're telling. Yeah, so that's, it's interesting that a young person like yourself would be so into these analog methods. I mean, because I got to tell you the truth, I've been waiting a long time for digital to happen because film is so difficult to deal with. And I'm an analog guy. I've got film cameras all over the place. I love them. I've got medium format. I've got the ones that take half frame, you know, mm -hmm. everything. But, oh, my gosh, film is such a pain because now... I'm so used to looking at the screen and seeing my picture. I'm, I see my composition a tenth of a second after I take the picture. I mean, how does that make you feel to be kind of going back in time and working on these, working with these uh, substrates like 16 millimeter film? It really 
reignited my desire to work in cinema and in film. I actually, I, you know, I would shoot 35 millimeter film when I was an undergrad, which was about a decade ago. And I would, you know, send it off to a lab to get it developed. And it was just a fun hobby that my friends and I did whenever we, you know, went out in Blacksburg. Um, but for the most part, actually for all of it, I was shooting digital and I very much enjoy working with my hands in, in the industry. And by practice, I'm a cinematographer. I like being out and doing that sort of physical labor that it takes to you know, create work as a cinematographer. Um, but after a while or a decade, I was often stuck at home editing on a computer and I felt very disconnected from the filmic medium itself. And so when I had the opportunity to learn 16, I completely felt reignited with this medium that I fell in love with, not only because of the history of analog film, but also the physicality of it. And, and I also, I process film myself. And so it makes it easier and it makes it a little more difficult. I've shed many tears in the dark room, but there is this intimate connection that you have with your medium. And I also teach 16 millimeter too. I was a teaching assistant and I've taught um, a lot of my cohort. And I think the most special moment about shooting 16 or eight millimeter for the first time and developing yourself is when you turn on the lights and you see the actual image on the film strip that you have created by hand. It's a very intimate experience. And I think it's something that's completely lost with digital. Of course, analog filmmaking isn't for everyone. Um, I know very talented filmmakers who have never shot analog, but it, it's a preference thing and it's it has a lot to do with your relationship to film and, and the process of being a documentarian, I, I think. You know, it's a, a funny thing that you should talk about this because I, I like the physicality of processing film and stuff. I do, I've discovered caffeinol and so I, yes. you know, develop some film, especially my uh, medium format film in caffeinol, because it's just a lot of fun. You can really see the, the uh, negatives very well. And I do a lot right. of stuff with cyanotype. So, you know, those analog processes are just a lot of fun. And it's, and just as you've described, it's exciting every time you see the image, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's still like... I feel like every time, even if I'm doing a process I've done a hundred times, I still feel some sort of nervousness when I'm doing it and excitement when I turn on the lights and see an image. Yeah, I think that's a true mark of a, a, a true artist and true creative person is that you, you do feel that excitement every single time. I mean, it's like, to me, it's like um, Wolverine when he... Uh, puts his claws out and they go, does it hurt when you do that? He goes every time. I mean, it's just, right. it doesn't matter that it hurts because it's mm -hmm. the result is so worth the pain, you know? And right. that's, that's the way I feel about developing film and shooting on film and stuff. And I, I, I get the feeling that you're the same way. Yes, absolutely. And I had to do a lot of experimental processing for fallout and a lot of the experiments, um, were major failures and I shoot on Tri-X and a hundred feet of Tri-X is about $50 and it's only two and a half minutes of film. And there were many times where I would do this experimental processing, turn on the lights and the film strip was completely bleached and unusable. And you just have to take a breath and understand your losses, reflect, and then just move on and keep going. Guess what I have right here in my hand, a, an exposed roll or cartridge of Kodak Tri-X 7266 reversal film that I shot and have never developed. <laughs> Amazing. Now, now's, now's your chance. You should, you should take a look at it. Yeah, I need to, but, uh, but I might have to enlist your help. I've got the chemicals to do reversal, but I don't know. I'm, you know, because of that excitement and scared thing, I don't know. I'm just, I'm worried. I, I don't even remember. I do remember some of what's on it, but not that it's so valuable. It wouldn't kill me. In fact, you know, the thing is, you were talking about your your film coming out bleached. You can still draw right. on it or paint on it or, you know, do other right. stuff to it. So don't throw it away. I didn't. I, I saved it and I actually ended up making 
something with it that I thought would be in Fallout, but I didn't include it. But I still have the the role on my desk, so it is still with me. So in a degree like cinema studies that you got, that's more or less what I would call a, a survey degree where you study all different genres. I mean, I'm sure you studied the, uh, what is it, uh, French Nouveau and, you know, early experimental film and um, expressionism and, you know, all the different things, Dadaism, you know, the Dadaist with film and Andy Warhol and, and those guys what made you land on documentary? So I actually, um, when I was, if, if you can believe it, when I was at Virginia Tech, I was really drawn to experimental film. The very small film program at Virginia Tech has this one professor who really is passionate about experimental filmmaking. And I remember I, I got my, I went into my cinema studies degree thinking I wanted to make narrative films as many students are in you know in their undergrad career but i took this course called documenting the 60s and it was an experimental film course about documentary filmmaking and specifically in the 60s and how documentary films radically influenced the counterculture of the 60s and so we talked about third cinema but then we also you know watched some some experimental films as well and i i realized in that moment that there because I was, I was 18 when I took that course, I, I realized that my idea of film and cinema was so limited. And so I started exploring these different classes, experimental classes, um, and also narrative too, but I, you know, I took a documentary course. But I was mainly interested in experimental filmmaking. At the same time, I was doing a lot of environmental organizing and, you know, and Blacksburg, Virginia, it's in the Appalachian Mountains. There's a lot of natural gas extraction. There's, as you know, we'll discuss in Fallout, there's a lot of environmental contamination. And and the, the organization that I was working for or volunteering with, they needed a filmmaker to document what was happening. And I was like, well, I know how to hit record on a camera and I know how to edit, so I'll do it. And it was a transformative experience. I really understood the power of documentary filmmaking and you know, fast forward eight years later, I had this background, this theoretical background in experimental filmmaking and this practical background as a documentarian. This program at Duke seems like an inevitable fit. Yeah, you know, I would, <clears throat> hearing you talk, it makes me really want to teach a film class. I, I wish I could be a guest lecturer sometime in a, a film class for experimental or something to, because I'm I'm so excited about it. I think it would be inspiring you know, to show clips from experimental films and say, you know, check this out. This is this is what's possible. You know, whatever it is you want to do. So I don't know. It seems like you're at a really exciting point. I mean, I'm really, I'm happy for you, but I'm also jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But don't be too jealous because I'm still looking for a job. So. Oh well, I think I think everybody is. I think uh, you know everybody is looking for that opportunity. So, you know, whatever you take, don't worry. That doesn't have to be the end all be all. You can still make your own films. You know, even if you're on a, a, a line where you edit films and so forth. And, um, right. and we can actually talk after the podcast, there may be some opportunities uh, locally if you're interested. So, <laughs> You know, what I call local. So anyway, um, let's talk about Fallout. Since I mentioned that I'm into chemistry, or at least used to be, um, right. you know, let's let's discuss Fallout. And so tell us, I've, I've watched the film uh, because of your link on Vimeo, but um, kind of give us an overview of it. Sure. Um, so actually, while I was at Virginia Tech and doing the environmental organizing that I was doing as an undergrad, I became friends with various people who were also interested in this type of work. And um, one of those young women, her, her name was Alyssa Carpenter, and we became pretty close doing the environmental work together. Um, when she was in her early 20s, she went in for a primary care visit at her doctor, and they noticed a lump on her neck that seemed abnormal. And so 
they decided to test it further. And within six months, she had her thyroid removed. And she had no history of thyroid disease in her family. It was very sudden um, and very unexpected. So she started looking into to why this could be the case. And it turns out this area has a very high, um, it's, it's a hot spot for thyroid disease and rare cancers. And they have attributed these abnormalities to the open burning practices of a United States Army ammunition plant in the area. And within a six mile radius, it's either six or 10, and I'd have to double check my, um, my research, but within this very short radius of this facility are vast neighborhoods, daycare centers, schools, hospitals, nursing homes. And so it is in the middle of an Appalachian community. And because of Alyssa's work, I got in touch with other community members who are experiencing illnesses, as well as a former employee who worked in the open burn pits. Um, and from there, it seemed like it, a documentary was not only inevitable, but necessary. Well, I hope you submit Fallout to some um, important festivals, if you get my drift, because I think, you know, a, a film like Fallout, I mean, you've heard of Aaron Brockovich, obviously. Right. And some other documentary filmmakers who have exposed things like this. I mean, that's the kind of stuff awards and careers are built on. And I'm not kidding. I mean, that's um, right. it's significant. This is not a this is not a minor work that you've created. I know it's a short doc. It's right at 20 minutes long. But the point is, is that it's informative. It's it's upsetting. It's um you know, it's concerning, seriously. Mm -hmm. And like I said, when I first saw the name, I thought, oh, my God, and saw the description, I thought, fallout. You know, are we talking, you know, radioactive waste or something? You know, because that's really scary. And right. um, talk about rare cancers and conditions from those things. But, um, right. you know, like I said, I, I'm i very interested in those kinds of things because I, I was a chemist and um, yes. I was an environmental chemist, as a matter of fact, uh, testing environmental contaminants was my actual job. <laughs> so, right. so you, you probably related to, to especially the analog portion of, of fallout. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's actually why I got out of chemistry is because of the, I mean, chemists always die of these horrible diseases. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, because you, you work with. And I know it sounds odd, but you work with so many experimental things, you don't know what the effects are going to be long term, even a minor exposure. And you get exposed all the time. I don't care if you work under a hood with um, gloves and and stuff on, you, you always get exposed somehow. I mean, because, you know, after a while you get careless or, you know, accidents yeah. happen and just, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of Camp Lejeune here in uh, uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, with all the water contamination. I mean, this is a big deal. You're listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. And now, back to the show. Uh, and in the middle of this project is when that train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so prevalent and it's all over the place. Yeah, so I, I really hope that you um, have a budget for submitting um, this film around to some significant festivals that can get you some, and I hate to use the word exposure, <laughs> but, you know, to, to get you some uh, notoriety out of it, because I, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a brilliant film, it's beautifully done, and um, I'm really hoping to see something from this, from you, so... Anyway, Thank that's you. one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. It's because uh, <laughs> it's like, man, this is uh, this is crazy for one thing, and so right. you know, documentary. Um, I can't remember who it was at the Academy Awards one year said something about documentarians. I mean, you are the storytellers of contemporary life. And, you know, like right. Ken, Ken Burns is probably the most famous documentarian. And sure. I mean, he's very well respected, very well, a very much sought after person, filmmaker. And so um, I think it's a, I think it, this is a great launching point for you. That's why I wanted to talk about Fallout before we talk about anything else. Right. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm, it it was a hard hard film to make, especially you know you without any spoilers, you saw ultimately what happens in the end. So it was it was a tough film to make, and I was fortunate to have a lot of support and a lot of resources. And we do have a budget for festivals, so thank you for your kind words. We will absolutely be submitting it. Um, it's nice to have production done, um, but it still feels like my baby, and so I don't want to. I don't want to abandon it. I want people to see it and allow it to live on beyond just the few people who have had a- access to it so far. Yeah. So, um, how do you know? And this is a this is a tough question to answer uh, because people have asked me as well. How do you know how long the film should be? Yeah. It. I wish I had. I. I wish I had a concrete answer for that. Um, I got quite lucky with this film, actually, you know, because it had to do some screenings in Durham and it it was in a joint screening. So quite early on, I had to know the runtime for it. And I just chose 20 minutes just, you know, out of thin air. Um, Actually ended up being exactly 20 minutes. So I feel I got quite lucky with that. But I knew ultimately that I wanted it to be vignettes of different people. When I first started speaking to Alyssa back in 2021, when we decided to do this project together, she was very explicit that she did not want to be the sole character in this film because the fallout from this facility affects so many people and each story is so different. And so I knew that I wanted to find multiple people who were experiencing um, illnesses due to this exposure. And for some reason, I felt like three, you know, that, that magic number of three was the, the right way to go. Um, towards the end, I did question if it needed to be longer. But ultimately, as I started cutting it together, it fell into place. And you could probably make a feature with this topic. However, because of the circumstances of Bill Laws, I got very lucky with my timing. Um, he actually... That was the only footage we got of Bill because he, well, we can talk more about Bill, you know, in a different question or another time, but he was very hesitant to have me film him. And so that visit to his house is the only footage I have. And so it felt very precious and it, it felt neatly packaged in the, the eight minutes that I made for his section of the film. So it all just kind of came together naturally. Now, how did you get the idea for this film? Um, so Alyssa, the, the friend I had from college, she was very vocal about what was happening um, online. And even though I moved away from the area, I still kept up with her through Instagram and Facebook and was still involved as much as I could be disconnected from the area. And I actually, in October of 2021, I sent her a message and I said, I would really like to create a documentary about this. And she responded almost immediately and said, it's so funny you're reaching out because I was thinking of you because I also want to make a documentary about this. And I was like, this is amazing. Let's collaborate. And so we took about nine months to just go back and forth. And, you know, I knew surface level information about what was happening, but I really needed to do more research. And so spent nine months reading and researching and asking questions and talking to people to really figure out what angle I wanted to take. There were also, because it's the United States military, there were also a lot of legal and logistical issues I had to navigate. Um, But ultimately, you know, I knew what angle I wanted to take with it. And at the same time, I was really getting into 16 millimeter film. I had taken a course, I was doing, you know, different types of hand processing of film and I got really into this environmental film movement in within the 16 millimeter community. Um, so films like landfill and um, there's one, I think it's called light of a thousand insects, a thousand stars. I can't remember exactly. Um, but there's this whole movement of analog filmmakers who use experimental processing techniques to show, to bring to life, invisible aspects of our society, whether it be through radiation, through, you know, the the effects of waste in a landfill or water contamination. So as I learned more about this environmental movement, it only felt natural to incorporate this into my own work as well, because ultimately I was dealing with contamination that was invisible and 
my biggest question was how do I make this invisible contamination visible to my audiences? Yeah, that's really cool. I, I get <clears throat> kind of lost in the story myself because, you know, because of my experience. But the one thing I want to ask you about is you say you um, developed the film and some of the contaminants from this site. Did you take precautions? I mean, we were just talking about protecting ourselves from this stuff. Did you take adequate precautions and rinse the film real good? <laughs> Yes, I did. I So I'm fortunate enough to have a dark room in Durham. And so I invested in a respirator and a vinyl apron and gloves, like industrial grade gloves. And my dark room does have ventilation. So what I would do is I would I would take the film, I would spool it onto the, the take-up reel, put it in a covered Lomo tank, and then I would pour in, yeah, I, it took like about six months to experiment with dilution and temperature and um, even just chemistry, but ultimately what I decided to do in the end was I poured in this chemistry, let it soak for X number of minutes or even hours, and then I would rinse it for about 10 minutes, especially because to develop Tri-X reversal, you have to use bleach, and some of these chemicals I was exposing the film to, like ammonia, um, reacts with bleach, and so I wanted to take extra precautions to make sure I wasn't gassing myself yeah. in the dark room. Yeah, you don't um, want to you don't so, want to create chlorine gas in a closed environment. <laughs> right. So I did take, and also I I use shared equipment too. So I I did take a lot of precaution to make sure it was thoroughly cleaned and that I was keeping myself safe as well. Oh, good, because man, that's uh, it's I mean, it, it's what you've done is very cool, but it's also dangerous, and I think that's part of what makes it such a great project is that you you did take a lot of risks in doing this, um, you know, because people like Erin Brockovich, I mean, she got threatened and, you know, all this stuff. I'm hope, hoping none of that happened to you, but, um, you know, uh, I think that exposing this kind of information, I think people need the truth, no matter how painful or how risky it is, we, ha we have to tell the truth. And I'm, I'm glad you did this. I mean, it really... It really brings to light something that, um, you know, has hurt a lot of people and probably will continue to hurt a lot of people. So, um, right. like I said, I, I think this is significant. And I think your idea that it could be a feature length project is is uh, legitimate because I was thinking at the same time, I was like, man, this is this is just kind of wet my appetite on this. I would like to see more. You know, I'd like to see some more investigation. And I mean, this thing could be you know, two hours long or even a series. Right, right. I, I was thinking, you know, each person could have, it, I was thinking ultimately it could be episodic with each person having their own short little documentary. Right, yeah. That's, I was, that's weird because I always think that way too. So that's kind of what I was thinking. But uh, anyway, Fallout, if you ever get a chance to see it at a theater or a screening, please do go see it. Um, I think that, you will be very impressed with this work. So um, congratulations on it. I'm, I'm really, I'm rooting for you for awards and, and some accolades. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep you updated with what happens to it. Yeah. I'd like for you to, I mean, I know people say that kind of thing, but I'm really interested in this. I, I think you get the impression that <laughs> because of my background, I'd really love to know right. um, because it is, it is something that's kind of, close to me because of uh, because of my background so anyway so um what kind of equipment do you use you say you use 16 millimeter cameras eight millimeter cameras what what do you have so i use uh, a bolex for my 16 millimeter um and then i, I primarily shoot tri-x film i also do some some sound stock as well but i prefer tri-x if i can if the project can afford it um I also obviously shoot digitally too, so I have a C70. Um, I have audio equipment, and I also use um, an Easy Rig stabilizer for my C70 as well. Oh, cool! A Canon C70. That's a nice camera. Yes, it is my. I, I share it with a few other local filmmakers, and it is. It's our baby. We invested a lot into it, and it's it's. Uh, we've got our money's worth with that thing. Yeah, that's very cool. That's a, it's a great camera. So. Um, 
a 16 millimeter Bolex. I've never been able to acquire one. I've got a couple of 8 millimeter Bolexes. I've got my little 8 millimeter. I'm going to pull it out here. It is a Sheenon 20P XL. It's dusty. But um, <laughs> I'm going to. I was going to enter this 8 millimeter film competition in the UK, and I have the film sitting up here. It's um, Super 8 color negative film, which I don't really care for, but they didn't want to do black and white. So I said, okay, fine, I'll buy the film you want me to buy. Then I never, I never shot it and never entered the competition because Triax is just so beautiful. I love it. It's better than regular black and white film. And the reversal thing, just I, I just love it. So it's just one of my. When you mentioned Triax film, I go ah well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I also I guess I should also say that I have the I have my grandmother's Kodak Brownie um, from Light Distance Time too. I have shot film on it, but I have not processed the film, so I don't know how you know I don't know how it's holding up after sixty years probably. Is that the Brownie still camera? No, it's the standard 8mm camera. Oh, wow. Is that the little flat one? Kind of as a weird it, it form factor? Yeah, it, it's like it's like a really thin rectangle, and it has a like brown paneling on the side. Yeah. It's a very like simplistic camera. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Well, I, I'd, I'd be interested to see what that looks like. So yeah. anyway, um, now let's talk about light distance and time this is the film that you submitted to the experimental film fest as a student film and just go for it just tell us about that yeah so i on my journey of discovering analog filmmaking i found my my dad found in the attic of our, the home that i grew up in a box it was still in its like original box that my grandmother kept it in it was an apple crate box from like the 60s um my dad found all of her standard eight millimeter reels her camera her projector her lights everything my dad doesn't even remember why he has it i guess when she passed away my uncle didn't want it so my dad just took it not thinking that much of it um but he didn't know how to project film so he passed it along to me and I took it back to Durham and I projected it on my bedroom wall. And the footage was so beautiful. She shot Kodachrome. So it held up in a North Carolina humid attic. Um, and it looked like a Norman Rockwell painting if it was a movie. They, you know, were in Kansas for most of the time. So you have these small neighborhoods with families playing outside and these bright red cars. And, and it was really beautiful. And... I remember I went home for Thanksgiving and was talking to my dad about it. And he was like, oh, where, you know, what were we doing? Where were we? And I started to describe what I saw. And he was like, wow, that was a really terrible time for our family. And so I started, I was so curious by, by that comment because when I was watching it, it looked like a perfect nuclear family of the 1950s. But in reality, they struggled with money. They would, in the middle of the night, you know, uh, leave their home because they couldn't afford rent. Um, my grandmother struggled with mental health issues, with addiction, and so it was completely different than what you saw on the camera. And so I started to really question this idea of not only the archive and, and the ways in which the archive represents history, but this desire to create your own archive in a way that doesn't necessarily represent reality and my grandmother loved that camera. It's in perfect condition to this day. My dad even said she cherished that thing. Kodachrome was expensive film, and for someone who didn't have a lot of money to invest in Kodachrome, it, you know, is a statement in and of itself. And so she really had this desire to create a life that did not represent reality. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like it's almost like she knew this was going to work out for you, and she left you that all the film and, all, and the camera and stuff as a gift. And right. and I think that's the way I would kind of accept it is that it, it's a gift from someone who, for whatever reason, knew the future. Right. Right. And um, yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. kind of interesting that it, that it fell to you this way. So I, I like the film. I think it's really cool. Um, 
And you say your budget for it was about fifteen hundred dollars. What what was your was that a budget that you had set up for it, or is that what it ended up costing you to make it? That was from a grant that I received through Duke University um, to archive all of the um, materials because originally when I made the first cut of the film, I I had to do it really quickly, and so I didn't have time to like get a nice camera to. You know, because when you're filming something being projected, you have to have like the proper shutter speed so you don't get like the rolling effects oh, right. of the projector. And so I, I didn't have time to like get a nice camera and I downloaded this app onto my iPad and I was able to adjust the shutter speed on my iPad. And so I filmed all of the footage as it was being projected off of my wall. And that's how I made my first cut of the film just to show people to get this grant money. Um, and so then the film won the Robert E. Pristo Filmmaking Award through Duke. And that was where I got the funds to um, properly archive and scan the materials. Wow, very cool. Yeah. So did you use a, a professional scanning um, service or did you buy one of those scanners and do it yourself? So actually, right when I won the award, Duke invested in a um, really nice scanner. I don't know the name of the scanner but it scans eight millimeters 16 and 35 so i did temp scans of all of the footage so that when i sent it off to CineLab, um i would have something to work with um and i actually think i ended up getting scans from CineLab, and i got the archival boxes from CineLab. um but ultimately i think the final cut has the scans from the scanner at duke i don't think i ended up switching them out because they it was a 2k scanner it looked quite good Oh, very cool. I like that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that one is basically a found footage film. And then mm -hmm. your fallout is, a, you know, I guess you'd call it first run or, you know, original footage film. Right. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer one over the other? I, I don't know if I can say that I prefer one over the other because fallout is definitely more representative of the work that I've done in the past and the work that I want to do in the future. However, Light, Distance, Time is probably the only personal film I've made and will make. But because of that, it, it's... And, you know, you don't even know it's personal until the very end when you see the credits and you see that we share a last name, myself and my grandmother. Um, so it's not necessarily personal, but I do feel like it's very precious in my canon of work. And so, you know, I don't necessarily prefer it over Fallout, but I do think it, it exists in this special place within my, my work itself. Right. Well, basically, I mean, did you, do you prefer like working with found footage or, you know, original footage, so to speak, you know, that you shoot directly? Right. Um, yeah, I, I definitely prefer shooting my own, my own stuff. I, I love being a cinematographer um, and it's, I, I especially love going out into communities and meeting people and building these relationships. And I think that's something special about being a cinematographer. You're allowed into oftentimes people's homes and engage in this very intimate experience with them. I hate being filmed. And so I have a lot of empathy for my subjects when I film them in their most vulnerable moments. And so that's something that I wouldn't give up. Yeah, I like I like interviewing people and I like um, direct film. Although I have made some found footage films because I find them to be really interesting, and you can do all kinds of crazy things <laughs> with the sure. with the footage and sound and so forth. But I think uh, I like to shoot direct as well. It's it's a lot of fun to do, and I think if yeah. you have a knack for documentary film um, and experimental documentary, especially. Uh, one of my good friends is uh, an experimental documentarian, Lynn Sachs. I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys ever studied her work um, in school or I not. I'm sorry? I don't believe so, but I'll, I, I don't believe we have, but I'll have to look up her, her work. Yeah, Lynn Sachs. She's been on the uh, podcast twice, uh, once just for an interview. In fact, it was so funny. She goes, how did you find me? And I said, <laughs> well... I'm fascinated with women filmmakers and I mm -hmm. said, your name was in a list and I kept looking up people and I said, you were the first one who was alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. that. Yeah. It, it, 
that, that was just for to make her laugh. But no, she mm-hmm. was, um, you know, I knew she had a large body of work and she knew people like she, well, Barbara Hammer. She had worked with Barbara Hammer. Um, you know, she's worked with some of the, you know, most famous experimental film people in the world. She's very involved with the uh, filmmakers co-op in New York, which you need to get involved with, by the way. Um, okay. If it's cheap, it's like forty bucks to uh, get a membership, and you can actually submit your films there, either on sixteen millimeter, eight millimeter, or digital, and uh, they rent them out, and you can get a commission. Or what I do is, if they, I don't know if they ever have rented any of mine out to anyone um mm-hmm. i just let them keep the money but um sure. filmmakers co-op in, in new york is a very cool place i've actually visited and uh, the lady who was the executive directory mm sarah is an experimental filmmaker in her own right and um she was very cool to to sit and talk to i mean it was just by accident um that I got to go there, and, and she's a friend of Lynn Sachs's as well. And so um, it was it was just a very cool experience. But they do a lot of cool stuff in New York. With They show films of, you know, Jonas Mika's films and, right. and Barbara Hammer films and all these people from the, the old avant-garde New York filmmaker, you know, the Bowery and all that stuff. They yeah. show, show films there, and it's oh, there's always something going on. It just kills me. <laughs> That's, but, uh, that's good to know. Yeah, because I I um, have a relationship with Mono No Aware. Mono yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a relationship with them, um, but it's always good to know of other organizations and groups of people to get involved with. I have interviewed those people. Oh, really? On this podcast, yes. Oh my gosh, I'll have to go back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting group of people. They they do a lot of good work. They you know rent bullexes and stuff like that. They help you mm-hmm. develop film, and that's a that's a good group of people. Mono Noah Wari in, in uh, Brooklyn. So anyway, yeah. okay, let's see what else do we need to cover here. Is there anything else you'd like to speak about to either one of the films that that we've highlighted so far? Um, no, I mean I feel. I feel very satiated in our discussions. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, here's the thing. Since you're a young filmmaker, I want you to know that one of the things that this podcast is supposed to do and is to help help with your career and to let people know about you and your, your work and to get you used to talking about your work. Because the most important thing, and a lot of artists will tell you this, to be successful you have to learn to talk about your work. And I tell people this all the time. Filmmakers, especially experimental filmmakers, sort of work in a solitary vacuum. Right. And you have to learn to talk about your work. You just, you just absolutely have to. I mean, you'll, if you look on YouTube, you can see interviews with Kenneth Anger. You can see interviews with uh, Stan Brackage. Uh, You can Mm -hmm. see interviews with Maya Darren, Barbara Hammer, um, Shelley Clark, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers who had to break out of that introverted experimental mind trap that we get into. And you have to be able, you have to be able to talk about your work. And one of my favorite, uh, filmmakers, Martha Colburn, uh, she does a lot Mm -hmm. of really cool work. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things you just have to learn to be interviewed and, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a good body of work behind you when you discuss these things. So anyway, that's what this is for. And you're doing a great job. I like talking with you. Thank you. Yeah. This has been um, a really enjoyable experience. I appreciate you having me on. No problem. So let's uh, ask you some more standard questions here. Uh, Are you involved in any local film groups, meetups or other film related activities there in Durham? Yeah, I mean, our MFA has a really wonderful community of people in Durham. We also have the Center for Documentary Studies here. And actually, you know, I don't know when this episode will come out, but um, this weekend, so in two days, the Southern Documentary Convening is 
actually happening in Durham. Um, and a lot of really wonderful documentarians and filmmakers who make work about the South will all be in Durham together. And it's going to be a really exciting weekend. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to visit for some of those things cause you're not that far away. No. Yeah. The Southern documentary fund is a really um, great organization. Yeah. We were just in Durham. Uh, no, maybe less than two weeks ago. We had to take my son for his Marine thing. He joined the Marines and, Way to take him yeah. to Durham, drop him off there. It's <laughs> a cute little town. I, I like it. I like it here. Yeah, it's very cool. Have you driven under Can Opener Bridge? No, what is that? Oh, there's a famous bridge in Durham. If you watch uh, YouTube, Can Opener Bridge, there's a, a bridge there that I think the height is probably somewhere around 11 and a half feet, and these trucks wow. go under it, and they just the tops of them get torn off. They raised the bridge oh, yeah. Yeah. six or eight inches, but they still it they still get torn off. So yeah, I'm looking at it now. That is hilarious. I will have to go go take a look. Yeah, <laughs> there's a detour yeah. that they're supposed to take, but some of them don't. They just plow right through it. And I mean, they just rip the top right off of them. Uh, oh, oh my gosh! I've sat I've sat and watched that for hours. <laughs> oh, I know exactly where this is. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've gone through it without even realizing the the history of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. So anyway, a person could do a here's a hint. Here's somebody could do a documentary about that bridge. Right. <laughs> and, right. You know, um in fact I want to talk to you after the podcast about some stuff. I've always got lots of ideas. And um yeah. I don't necessarily put them into practice myself, but I certainly give other people some good ideas. So anyway, um, what are you working on now? If you can tell us about it. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm interested obviously in this idea of fallout. Um, so I'm interested in, you know, continue, continuing to hear more stories of people who are affected by environmental contamination. Um, you know, I've, I've thought about reaching out to other communities and making this, Part of a series like we were discussing but a series on a wider scale um i'm also still interested in this idea of using my medium in a way that is reflexive of my subjects so i'm doing research right now um about abortion as you may be familiar with what just happened in north carolina we passed by some sinister means an abortion ban and um so i'm i'm in very preliminary research right now about what i would have to say about that legislation or even just abortion in the South. And I think I have a few projects brewing, but all of them are really in that pre-research phase of figuring out what I should say about these issues. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I don't know if we're like-minded on this or not, but I'm quite disappointed with North Carolina's legislature. <laughs> Me uh, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this new, um, this new weirdness that's going on in this country is, is, uh, just about more than I can handle, but, um, yeah. that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> so do you have a website or other ways for the audience to check out more of your work? Yes, I have a website. It is madisonhillfilm.com. Quite straightforward. Um, you can access my website for fallout through that, uh, through my main website. And on Fallout's website, I have resources to learn more about the arsenal or the Army ammunition plant, as well as I'm doing some regional screenings in the South, and I will be updating the website with those screenings as well. So if you're interested in the project, you can check out my website, madisonhillfilm.com, and the Fallout website as well, which is linked on my personal website. Well, I appreciate you coming on today, and I'm really excited about Fallout, and I think I think things are going to happen for you because of this. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this first episode of Season 4 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was experimental filmmaker and documentarian Madison Hill. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview, sponsor the podcast, point me to some cool experimental films, or connect me to other experimental filmmakers. And we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. 
Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. Thank you.